Welcome, new week, new episode, listeners. Unverified accounts here for you. I'm your host Chris here with Liza and Philip, the usual trio. What's up, guys? Yo, yo, what's up? Hey. And uh, we'll talk. We'll be talking about Operation Varsity Blues, the new Netflix documentary. Apparently, from the same maker as the Fire Festival documentary, which I, I, it's still on my watch list. I still haven't watched it, but it's all about the that infamous college admission scandal. And uh, yeah, we're just going to talk more about it. Uh, but, you know, before we get to it, we'll just do our usual rundown of the week. I mean, we were just talking about this, but, you know, I, I've been kind of weirdly out of touch for the last week. So we were scrambling to find some stuff, but some stuff happened, right, guys? I think all of us are taking like a major social media break. And that's the yeah. reason why, like, I'm not really up to date on trending topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless yeah. it's like super huge, you know, and it makes it to mainstream did we all did we all delete Twitter from our phones, or was it was it just me and Chris? Like Eliza, did you delete Twitter from your phone? I didn't delete Twitter, but I don't check it that much. Like I, I yeah. stopped checking Instagram. I I I've been deleted off of Facebook for a while, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I just it's like I'll, I'll log into Twitter to tweet something, and then like I don't stick around to scroll or anything. Yeah, you which know, is good, right? <laughs> yeah, once Twitter is off your phone, I think that is the biggest step you can take because then it just becomes another website in which you actually have to sit down uh in front of a computer to do but if you if it's not that thing you mindlessly look at every second you're not actively doing something yeah it's not on my phone Mm -hmm. anymore yeah i think that's the biggest thing it's a little bit inconvenient sometimes i want to like i want to like if i want to like post something or like you know check in on something on my on my phone i can't do it anymore and i but then i just end up just not doing it at all logging off right i know that that you, you you can't like that that little dopamine rush that you seek. You just it's not there for you anymore. So you're kind of like training your, your yeah. brain to not need it. It's just like it, it saves you from mindlessly switching to the app without even thinking and like mm-hmm. spending a bunch mm-hmm. of time scrolling time, through it right? and then thinking like what the hell am I doing right? So <laughs> it's definitely better. It's just like there's an adjustment period. Yeah. What I found is Twitter is actually becoming more like Facebook to me in that it's more of a communication tool. So like yeah. Facebook is now nothing. And now Twitter is is the new Facebook for me because I I like that it lets anybody who wants to reach out to me reach out to me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to send DMs to to people. And you check those. Check what? Your DMs. Yeah, I mean, I've, I I basically use it as like a texting thing with some some people. Some people, yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, we just got started there, and and I maybe we should move it, but. It's at least on your computer. That's the problem with phones, right? Unless everyone has iMessages. And, and well, that's what I like about Instagram is that, like, yeah, it's on your phone. It's on like you can look at it on your computer, but it's the way it's the website is so inconvenient to use on a computer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so bare bones. So if you right? get rid yeah. of it on your phone, you I mean, you're not the chances that you're going to go scrolling around and like posting stuff on your computer on Instagram are unlikely. I don't think you can even do that. Right. I think, I don't know if you can either. I don't yeah, try. I on the computer. You can only consume and they probably do I that think, on purpose. Well, you can they click want- like, and mm-hmm. you can leave comments. And I think that you can check DMS now on Instagram, but no, like, that's right, you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just posted something. But it's a pain something. in the ass. So, okay. So not- then if, if you guys are not on any of these things anymore, and you were getting news from like Twitter, where are you getting your news <laughs> from now? I, I don't. You don't, you, don't, you don't go like. I wait you know. for people to tell me, like, my dad like, will probably Twitter. say something to me, or like, if someone's watching the news in the house, I'll, you know, like in the kitchen, I'll just see it. That's how I heard about all the mass shootings, honestly, is like someone's watching TV in the kitchen. CNN breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the good old days. What I meant more was that I'm, I'm a much more passive Twitter user now. 
yeah, I'll like check it, but I won't really post much uh, and things like that. So yeah, Twitter, Reddit, even the even like Vox. I, I for whatever reason I still check it because you know at least it's I want to know what the mainstream's thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly why I check Vox too. <laughs> <laughs> it's become a re- it's a reflex I cannot like disengage from. I don't know. It's like yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, um, okay, last thing we'll talk about, uh, Joe Biden got in a little bit of hot water this week because he called Hideki Matsuyama, uh, who won the <laughs> Masters, a uh, Japanese boy, and I think people jumped on it. I think they were mainly uh, like James O'Keefe types, uh, the right-wingers who wanted to catch Biden in a gotcha, and I would love to catch Biden in any gotcha or whatever, but I heard the clip. I mean, well, let's play the clip. And Yossi, I know how proud you are of the people of Japan are. And uh, you've got a Japanese boy coming over here, and guess what? He won the Masters. He won the Masters. He won the green jacket. The, the way he said it, it sounds like a guy who knows he's extremely old, uh, taught, you know, referring to a much younger, much more athletic younger man. And it's a term of endearment. I didn't get any sense. Of, I mean, Biden has obviously said some really, uh, let's say, questionable stuff. I didn't think this was one of them. And, uh, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. one to, to always try to give these things a pass but and what did you guys think how, how old is he actually joe biden or Matsuyama? no 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 <laughs> 29 <laughs> oh okay he's pretty he's pretty young he's not yeah. a boy though he's not like not yeah, a boy. But, but i think 29 is the 22. age where you are old enough where if someone says you're young you you kind of take it as a compliment you're like oh you know i yeah, mean because you're on the yeah. verge of if, uh, you if know. someone who is like <laughs> practically 80 years old calls you a boy and you're 29 i don't know it's kind of like when you get called kiddo by someone who's like 60 years older than you. Yeah. yeah that's it's like, fine. are you really going to get mad at them for that? Yeah. I mean, if Biden were like, say, 40 and you're calling a 29-year-old guy a boy, then that has more of a connotation well, of- because it would have teeth in it. Yeah. You're, you're trying to put him in his place. You know, I'm the man. <laughs> you're a boy. But yeah, to Biden, everyone's a boy. Um, I guess. Anyone younger than 60 As is probably a boy As if he's so term. known for saying the right thing, yeah. you know? Who was who was actually offended by this? Like, well, see, I couldn't tell. I think it was mainly right wingers, and I don't think even they were that really. Because I mean, They're one thing about it, they it was it wasn't like Matsuyama was black. If he was black, obviously, there's a whole history behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was a whole bunch of nothing. But there, there's this similar thing where uh, uh, someone mistaken um, who's a who's a boy in um, uh, Minari. Uh, oh, Alan something alan, alan Lee, something? i think that's kim yeah. Um, or, yeah alan kim yeah that's right he was on a cover of some magazine i think and then i think someone said it was steven yoon oh my god <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i think i saw that yeah what if steven yoon just said wow best compliment ever <laughs> that that would be the kind of nice response you would give right on twitter or something so um speaking of that is, isn't aren't the oscars like next week or something they are and so is mortal Kombat. Oh seriously? Right. I have, the Oscars yeah. are next week. Huge oh, events. I guess yeah. Yeah. Aren't the Oscars normally in March? Did they push it back this year? They mm-hmm. pushed it back because they were worried that they wouldn't have any movies to like to nominate, and oh. that's, been, that's <laughs> why what, they. That's what made why, it into that window? <laughs> so they pushed it from like February to the end of April. Okay. And now there's like too many movies. You mm-hmm. know? Okay. Yeah. Because they were worried that nothing was going to come out. And it's like, um, oh, okay. you were wrong about that. Mm-hmm. All right. We got to figure out what we're doing for the Man, Oscar episode next week then. <laughs> oh, hey, we, we got our idea. Um, okay. 
speaking of movies, oh, uh, Eliza also watched Risky Business last night. We can we can weave that in mm-hmm. here uh, somehow. But okay, let's move on to this documentary. I was wondering where that was on the outline. <laughs> Sorry, forgot that. But I definitely did watch it. Um, mm-hmm. So okay, let's move on to Operation Varsity Blues, which I I always thought you know there's the infamous james vanderbeek movie from the 90s uh, varsity blues yeah i thought that was like an old saying and this um operation name was based on that old saying which happened to coincide with that movie but no it really was named after that movie and i was just thinking like who whose idea really. was that yeah it, Weird. I, yeah so anyway uh okay so this movie is about that admission scandal that happened all the way back in 2019 we all know the the you know surface level facts there was this it was a big scam uh fake student profiles of fake tests uh just like one mastermind guy uh received money from these uh you know rich people and celebrities most infamously felicity huffman and Lori lachlan yeah Lori lachlan Mm -hmm. and uh they got caught it was very embarrassing for everyone and this documentary goes more into uh into more detail and they did a thing that we first saw with well, at least I first saw with the social dilemma, in which it's a documentary, but whereas most documentaries are, you know, voiceovers, interviews, they actually dramatize uh, scenes. I actually uh, like that. I, I do. I, I the social dilemma was weird because you knew it was hundred percent scripted, but this one. No, this one was better. Yeah, this one was better because they actually took the transcripts of the the main culprit of Rick Singer when he and they wore had, a like, wire. Good actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matthew Modine. Uh, last scene in as uh, isn't isn't he a bad guy in Stranger Things? Um, I think he plays the the, yes, the evil scientist there. Yeah. yeah, so. But most people probably remember him from Full Metal Jacket. Yes, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, they also didn't do this thing in the Social Dilemma where they had this like weird fictionalized explainer thing with like oh. Pete Campbell from the Office <laughs> oh, yeah, pretending to be like the oh, AI yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that there was, was no so need lame. for that because like people under like th- they had to explain the thing, but here it's like people kind of understood what was happening, so they just kind of reenacted. that, yeah. but with the Social Dilemma, it felt like they were talking down to us. Yeah, it uh, did. because because <laughs> um, social media uh, increases well, I your think dopamine the difference intake. Is and, that yeah. with Operation Varsity Blues, this was already such a followed like sensationalized story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not only that but uh, there are a lot of facts about it that we don't know just from daily experience whereas we use social media every day so there are certain things we know and yeah. that's why i felt yeah. a bit condescending but this but- <laughs> when they're reading the transcripts between singer and some dad or mom that's stuff we didn't know so it, it is <laughs> fascinating to listen I will also say that in Operation Varsity Blues, they didn't have to do any explaining because they didn't bother to, they didn't bother to peg any blame on who's really to blame. Mm-hmm. They just picked the surface, like all the celebrities and the rich people that were constant, whose names were always in the news, but they didn't actually go deeper. Yeah, which is my big problem with the movie. Okay, we'll get to that when we you start. You mean the systemic issues? Yeah, we, we should talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, just a very quick level review. What did you guys think of this documentary? I really enjoyed it. What about you guys? It was it was um, very watchable, but I just found myself getting so angry that <laughs> I guess I guess I guess kept waiting for them to point out the real villain, which is the whole college system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, like I, I know that, like, yeah, these rich people, like, they suck, but they're playing the game that, like, they didn't invent the game, you know? Like, they're just, they can play the game, which is why we're pissed off at them. But I guarantee you if middle class people or, like, even, like, upper middle class people, if they could afford to buy their children's way into the elite colleges, they everyone would do it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. If that's all you had to do is just like pay and like, boom, your kid gets into an elite college. That's it. The reason we're mad at them is because the reason people are mad at them is because they can't, they can't participate. So it's unfair, but it's like, that's not the reason to get mad. You should mm-hmm. be mad that it exists at all. You should be mad that like these elite schools with their billion dollar endowments mm-hmm. have like a 4% acceptance rate or whatever. Yeah. They can afford to accept everybody that applies. Like if you can afford the tuition, just let them in. Mm-hmm. Oh, Philip, what were you I mean, I think that the tuition is also a major, like, it's too yeah. cost prohibitive. Yeah. I, I had a similar reaction. You remember the scene at the beginning where they're explaining, like, you know, the front door, getting to a college through the front door is like, you know, going through the legit application process, right? Mm-hmm. Going through the back door, which has always been available, is like donating anywhere from 10 to 50 mil to, you know, the college. And then the thing that Rick Singer put together is a side door where you pay him maybe a million bucks and he, you know, puts your kid through this whole system to get them in as like a fake athlete or with fake test scores and stuff like that, right? The cheating way. Or changing their yeah. race. And when I saw that scene, I was like, why the fuck are we spending this documentary talking about the side door when really we should be talking about the back door? Yeah. Which is like a fully kind of like understood and legit, you know, legitimate process that people still take advantage of just the ultra rich right but like still is a huge issue so that was kind of like you know one one of the many outrages i had watching this thing because it, it felt like it was not really addressing the whole picture just just this particular like salacious incident that happened right yeah. with this cheater but one of the insidious things about the side door is at least with the back door not only is it very unavailable for even rich people you have to be like really sure. really rich yeah. um but the side door also has the veneer of meritocracy. Like the back door, when, when news comes out that, uh, I don't know, a Jack Nicholson's daughter got in and, oh, he just happened to donate an uh, entire new theater to X university. <laughs> Everyone sure. knows what's going on. But with the side door things, you don't hear about that. In fact, all you hear about is, uh, you know, so-and-so's kid got into NYU legitimately. Uh, so it is trying to have it both ways, which might be the thing that pisses off people like the backdoor thing is yeah. so outrageous that i think people are like well whatever if you really think uh fucking nyu is worth 10 million dollars like, then go ahead whatever <laughs> there's at least um in the cost benefit analysis maybe you could argue that that 10 million I, i'm sure they'll squander it and just use it to, to buy a pen t- invest in a penthouse or whatever but maybe that 10 million could be used for scholarships for uh lesser income kids but, you know, like $200,000 from Aunt Becky or whatever, that's not really, that's like pennies, really. It only enriches Rick Singer and whoever is uh, pulling the strings here or the coaches who are uh, doing the, this uh, fuckery. So, but actually, let's just delve into that. The, the real villains uh, being the universities, because Daniel Golden, who wrote the book, The Price of Admission, Price of Admission yeah. which I read, Liza, you said you read it too, which I, I think it was really, yeah. yeah, the first mainstream book that came out that really called into question uh, the whole admissions process. And I always appreciated our book because it really did point out how unfair it is to Asian Americans. It's, yeah, it's one of the first books that said that Asians are the new Jews. And we all know what happened to Jews in like the mid-century. Yeah. Um, anyway, Daniel Golden says something very astute where he says, technically this case is uh, in the eyes of the law in which the, the Rick Singers and, and whoever was involved defrauded the universities. But... And he points this out in the case of John Vandermeer, who was the, the Stanford sailing coach. All the money he got, he gave to the university for his program, and they kept that money. So he's like, in what? How can it be a fraud if the victims came out richer, not only monetarily, but he also points out very astutely that 
this whole case was great PR for the universities because yeah, it, it showed is. that even celebrities, uh, even these, uh, especially someone like Felicity Huffman, who I think was a part of the whole resistance and, and you know, very morally, which uh, had to present herself as very morally upright, even mm-hmm. they're willing to do these very degrading, um, high risk things just to get into these schools, then, oh my God, how great are these schools? And they came out looking good and, and not, there was really no blame uh, yeah, I, I placed on them. I almost had to turn the documentary off when somebody <laughs> in there said, um, quote, what these people did to Stanford. Oh yeah, oh, that I'm was like, so what bad. what you did to Stanford? Stanford is the victim? No, it's not. Yeah, I think that was probably from an angry alum or something. Yeah, they were like pulling quotes what from- What you did to Stanford. <sighs> Get the fuck out of here. That's me. like a cult. That's like a cult mentality. <laughs> Mentality. You know, like Stanford is their their family. You know those people who are too too proud of their schools. It gets a little creepy. Even when you're like a junior or a senior, it, when you're at that school and people are that drinking the Kool Aid, it's creepy. Yeah. But when you're like fifty and sixty, it is really weird when you see people and it's like they graduated from college years and years ago and they still like buy everything with the school logo on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like they buy like the tailgate chairs and they still buy like <laughs> season tickets to the football games and they go tailgate mm-hmm. and like they're like old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, 2020 would have been my 10 year reunion at the college. No way in hell was I going, but I mean, nobody could go because they got canceled. And I think they had some like Zoom events. I mean, it's already <laughs> degrading enough to go to the 10 year reunion. It's even more degrading to go to the Zoom version. Um, I don't know <laughs> if they're going to try to mash the year, you know, class of 2010 and 2011 together or whatever. But the, the really insightful part I thought at the beginning was when they uh, talked about the parents' motivation for getting their kids in. Mm-hmm. Living vicariously like, through your yeah, children. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was your like... Children goes to, your children get into Harvard. It's like you got into Harvard. Yeah, yeah. right. Because like, you couldn't do it before maybe, you know, but you, you know, you managed to get your kid in. It, it gives you that kind of ego boost as well. So that part I thought was kind of nice to add in. Yeah, there was also another part where he said uh, this guy Rick Singer. Maybe we can talk a little bit about him more because the, the documentary paints him as this. I just don't think he's that bad of a guy, to be honest. With you. <laughs> he's this very. I think a- he's an opportunist, but like villain uh, in this case, um, I don't know. He's more of a scapegoat than anything. But but the, uh, the I thought the documentary was actually kind of sympathetic towards him because it's at the end. Yeah, because the what sense I got from him was this is a guy who has been excluded from society uh and he's he's had this drive of both envy and revenge at the elite classes and this is his way of of including himself among them and even he got jokerified yeah and because uh people note that he became quite wealthy he could have stopped and you know uh, i think he made like 25 million dollars from all this Uh, he could have stopped and just took his money and left but he kept at it and i think it was the game itself that thrilled him and maybe him getting one over on all these gatekeepers and, and hobnobbing with all these rich people. There was this one guy, did you catch this part, where he said for for some event he rented out Versailles? That some, I did not catch that. That's crazy. No, there, there was a I part. didn't catch that one either. Yeah, unless Versailles is the name of some some club. He's, he talked about <laughs> going to Paris and renting out Versailles. And I was like, crazy. oh my God, these I, people. I'm pretty sure it's the Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Rick, Rick Singer, he, he, it's like if they made a movie about him, he'd be an anti-hero. Like you couldn't, I don't think you could really hate him. Because as Liza, you correctly pointed out, the real villains are the universities. He's mm-hmm. just the mastermind uh, just playing the game. Um, there's probably like a thousand, ri- okay, maybe, maybe not a thousand. Maybe there's, there's a couple, I bet you there's like, there's at least tens of Rick Singers well, out nowadays, there. Nowadays for sure, yeah. They're just not yeah. as good as him, yeah. 
this is why I was frustrated too, because like he was just the fact that they were caught and this whole thing blew up just showed that like, you know, there's a problem here and there's a way to work this fucked up system to the advantage of not the ultra rich, but even the semi rich. And you had to wonder how many Rick singers and how many kind of like, you know, schemes are there out there that have not been caught yet. Right. That are still getting tons of these like sufficiently wealthy people through the door. But not only that, I think they also gave some stats around how, even if you don't cheat, the fact that you're wealthier than the average person is going to give you a huge advantage on your SAT scores, on your admissions, you know, uh, uh, opportunities and so on. So I actually think that the villain well, here... Opportunities for what? Just to go to a... To get to a good college, right? Like the fact that if you have, you know, parents who make more money and have more free time, they're going to be able to help, you know, nurture your way up into into these schools. Like even if even just by paying for a regular like counselor, like his original job is just as a regular as college, like admissions counselor, right? And they cost what, like hundreds of dollars an hour, right? So there was one part where he said like his billing could be like fifteen hundred dollars per right. hour. I'm like, I don't think even like a top like like a Wachtell law firm partner charges that much. It's yeah. just I, <laughs> it, it, it's just the whole thing is now an industry. It's just jacked up, and it's also kind of like commodified to some extent. Just but only for the wealthy, right? And so actually, like. This the entire documentary made me think of this book I read uh, a couple actually around the time uh, this thing happened um, called Dream Hoarders by I think Richard Reeves, mm-hmm. which is a, a book that goes into a bunch of different ways and how the upper middle class maintains their status and maintains their economic power, and they have a whole mm-hmm. section um, on college admissions, right? Yeah. And I, I think that if this story had come out before he wrote the book, he would have definitely included a quip about this particular in, like incident, right? But he was talking about in the book, just like legitimate ways in which the upper middle class have to maintain their their holding in that space uh, for future generations, i.e. their kids, by getting them into top colleges and doing things that will push out other people from from access, yeah. right? And so the, the in my mind, like the, the villains here are, you know, the system as well as the upper middle class that participates in that system. And the victims are anyone who loses a spot because these people fuck around with the system, right? Yeah. Anyone who actually works harder than, than a kid who like has a Rick Singer, you know, or not even a Rick Singer, like even has money, enough money to get counseling, right? To, to make it through the SATs and whatnot. Yeah. But the kind of like demoralizing thing is that this is actually pretty natural for a prosperous society. In the, in the latest Escape from Plan A episode I did with Jess, we read this book, War and Peace and War. Mm-hmm. By Peter Turchin, he, he talks about one of the signs of a society that will go into decline is an overproduction of elites. And this is a classic case of too many elites, too few spaces, because people on the documentary make the very correct point. There are actually too many colleges in America. And you could see that because during uh, the coronavirus, a bunch of them closed down because like no students came and mm-hmm. unlike the IVs and their equivalents, they don't have huge endowments to draw from. So they, uh, if they don't get tuition money year in, year out, they, their operating costs uh, will shut them down. So there are actually too many colleges. If you, if you look in any state, there's like a ton that whose names you don't even know. But there is a hyper-valuing of the very top of the top, and everybody wants to get into it. Not only that, but the schools sell the illusion that anybody can get in. And that's critical because if they just said, you know what, if your SAT is um, below 1400, don't even try, then people won't try and they'll just go to where they have a more realistic shop. Yeah, they they keep saying, yeah, whenever you go to like their brochures or if you remember going to like 
when we were seniors in high school and we would go to like these recruiting events and they would talk about like, well, don't worry about this and don't worry about that. Don't worry about your SATs. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about how many APs you took. And it's like, well, what the fuck should we worry about? Because you have like a 6% <laughs> admission rate. Yeah, right. So, I, okay. So this, okay. I want to get into this because you see the, the documentary opens with all these kids on their like Instagram lives or TikToks where they're about to open their email to see whether they got in or not. I hated those kids too. I was pissed. I was like even more pissed <laughs> off at them. Well, they are they are victims. If the parents are victims, these kids are even more victims. They're not going to know better. And and see, this is the really harmful thing, I think, because... <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, because because the way these universities sell themselves is we're, you're more than a test score to us. We, you are... We look to your soul. That's what they're selling. We're seeing <laughs> into your soul to see whether you're special. So make sure, you, make sure you have that, good though, personalities. I mean, if, you, if you fall for that and you buy into that, are you really a victim? Come on. Eh, these are kids, Liza. I mean, the parents fall for smart? it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, my point is, yeah, these the schools aren't just saying, uh, are you good at math? Are you good at English? Uh, can you write well? Can you read well? They're not really asking you that. They're asking you, are you special? Are you a leader? Are you uh, all these things that kids, especially at that age, have no idea if they are. And then um, they open their uh, their emails and they find out whether they got in or not, which is why if they got into their dream school, they're so ecstatic. They think they've made it. And then when they don't, they're absolutely devastated. And this Mm -hmm. was the case before, but now with everybody posting stuff. uh, I remember once riding the subway and there were these kids, they were like in high school and they were talking about, oh my God, so-and-so, I guess this person got into, let's say like 12 colleges and every single acceptance he or she posted on Instagram. They were like, oh my gosh, this is too much. Like she needs to stop. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that really sucks. Cause I remember when I was in high school and, and this is probably similar for you guys too, where you got in was kind of your own business. If you, uh, yeah, unless- no one really flaunted it. Well, cause you couldn't, cause if you, well, if you did, you'd, you get called out as, as like, as, as like a jerk. So unless you had like, I don't know, maybe some really good friend who, who would leak it to people. There's really no way to show off without being coming off like a total jerk. Well, I guess now if you post it online, you, you're doing the same thing, but the, the, the shame level has gone down. But um, what about you guys? When you were in high school, like when you got into places, like I feel like at least where I was at, nobody really cared because we had better things to do, like getting trying to get drunk well, I think and that, stuff. Okay, so, so <laughs> um, I went to college a long time ago. So <laughs> No, not that long time ago. <laughs> um, like I, I don't think that... I don't remember us thinking that college was like the end goal. It was it was the means to an end. Mm-hmm. Like I think that everyone understood that like no one when you get older and you are like I don't know post college nobody gives a fuck what college you went to. That's certainly the mindset I in don't Canada. Go around, I don't really go around asking people what school did you go to. Yeah, I mean Philip, I'm sure you can attest to this, but that's pretty much the mentality in Canada. Yeah, maybe it's a generational thing, right? Where like maybe back when Liza was going to school, it wasn't a big fucking deal, but now it's become a big deal and social media is part of the reason why, right? Because you want to you wanna show off your Ws, right? So this is one of the best ones you can get in high school. Um, yeah. You know, for, for me, like hearing all these stories and like watching this thing, it like watching pathetic. watching the videos of the both the, the accepted kids and the, the rejected kids was like, I you know, I've seen these before, right? Like just posted on Twitter and shit. I, I don't understand them at all because no one did that in, in our schools. Cause in Canada, like there wasn't a big fucking crazy rat race to get into a 
great college, right? We have a lot of good colleges here. It's reasonable to get into them if you work reasonably hard in school. We don't do SATs. We don't have like insane application things that require like crazy extracurriculars. And and I thought about that while watching this documentary and it made me wonder like, do we produce like worse, like dumber, not, not dumber, but like less accomplished kids by the high school period, right? Because for example, like, they had uh, there was one shot in the in the documentary where they showed like a list of like all these AP classes right there was like 24 different AP classes that you could mm. take to bolster your package our school had two english AP no is three such a scam though i don't yeah. even know what it is like cuz well, like, like, that's cuz we're in canada though we were in canada i, I know but what the point i'm i'm getting at is that we don't have this race where you had to like acquire all these points like it didn't matter people who did them were just like nerdy kids who wanted an extra challenge I didn't do it. I didn't even do AP Calc, which was available. And I was going into a, a like a math school, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I still got into the school. I still graduated. I got a job at a big tech company immediately out of, out of college. And I thought about that. And I was like, that's the exact same outcome as someone who put them, puts themselves through the rat race and like gets into Stanford and then gets a job at Google afterwards, which is like a pretty common path for these achievers, right? Mm-hmm. And also come out in, in their case with like $120,000 in debt. I didn't go through any of the stress or the monetary debt and I still had the same job at the end. So like, what the fuck is going on in America? Like that was my so thought. Like, school, why is it so like, different? I thought about it and I was like, do, colleges have marketing departments, right? And they, are they hire PR firms? I mean, how many of these like, um, when people, when kids post like their acceptances or like the amount of... Um, the amount of like publicity that these schools get and the way that they're so vaunted in our, in our culture, it's like how much of that is created by them? Like hundred percent. Like pushed out. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Cause it's like, none of us know anyone that like bought into it like this. Like I don't know anyone that sat there crying because they didn't get into like, I don't know, some school that they had no chance of getting into anyway. You know, there are there are people that like did apply to some of these schools and didn't get in. And it's like, is their life worse? No. Yeah. Right. They're like Which is 40 state school now, instead, right? You're still probably 40 and yeah, like you... they're perfectly happy people yeah. with families and they don't give a shit. In in fact, maybe because you didn't go through a fucking Harvard or Stanford, you're not like surrounded by a bunch of like assholes. Yeah, <laughs> right? you have Coming, a house because circles. you don't have like two hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt, you know? Not just the debt, but the the, the kind of social circles you get put into right these like elite kids you know some of whom got in you know illegitimately maybe right um becoming the kind of people that that influence what you want because one thing i do think a lot about the whole college process and the outcome of it again is that first job you know with these harvard kids these yale kids a lot of them try to get that fucking mckinsey like consulting job like that's the big you know the gold pile at the end of of college right they all aspire for that and then what they become like a mayo pete they go and they fucking like go and fuck up companies, lay off tons of people, like get involved in opioid, you know, peddling, right? Like yeah. what, what are you, what is the actual fucking outcome of college? Is it just to be another fucking like power cog in the capitalist system? If so, why is that such a great thing? But I think you guys are taking way too long, a long-term approach. Cause Liza, you, I think you said before that it seems like getting into college is the end in itself as opposed to the means and i think that's how it's viewed by these kids who like no i think exactly that's the whole Mm -hmm. point so that philip even if they have the same outcome as you they end up at working at google or the same company they're at it's not the same because they didn't have that precious experience and it's actually getting into the college 
and, and that that is their goal to experience what it's like to be at an elite university, uh, being be in the dorms with maybe like children of celebrities or other rich kids. And even if the miser- uh, uh, even if the experience is miserable, then after they graduate, they're going to be able to meet other people like that, and they can commiserate over that. And they'll always bond over that experience. And even if they achieve their professional goals. Uh, even going to a so-called lesser school, they will never feel like insiders into that exclusive club, and so I think that's why. So it's just like it's like you know this club basically, right? Like that's it's about being part of the club. Yeah, because I think the saying. way these Ivy League schools have been marketed in in you know throughout our lives has changed. I think when we were growing up, the uh, the stereotypical image of the Ivy League graduate was somebody who went into banking, uh, you know, a conservative, and, you know, not politically, but, you know, like they'll get the nice house in the suburbs, raise a, raise a nice family and all that. I think that was what we thought of when we thought of Ivy League grads. Nowadays, uh, if you look in, even like, I bet like fucking fashion, even like fashion, they all went to fucking Ivy League schools or their equivalents. <laughs> so it's no longer really the education you're going for because, I mean, we're talking about fields like, say, like journalism or, or entertainment fields that traditionally, uh, you know, these were normally, you know, high school dropout types, people who really had nothing uh, they could do except these, you know, weird things. Because, you know, if you had a good head on your shoulders, you would do the safe thing and, you know, become a nice accountant. But now you got the most privileged people uh, going into these uh, very difficult industries to break into, and they all seem to come from the same schools. I was just reading this Rolling Stone article about Issa Rae having gotten like some eight-figure deal, and they're all going on and on about like Stanford. So you're probably thinking, um, yeah, you in, if you want to become someone like her, you also have to go to Stanford, which is, you know, we see plenty of kids whose dream school is Stanford. I think the message Stanford. that me and Philip are trying to put out there is like, you know that you don't have to do that to be happy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you can, or, or, you will still have a nice life. You will have or, a very or, nice life. In fact, you might have a better life than these people and you will live a normal life and you will be perfectly happy and you don't have to worry about like maintaining your social stature. But I'm going one step further. I'm saying it's not even about personal or like familial happiness. It's also about like what you can achieve and accomplish in the world. Right. And I'm even saying that like, sometimes when you go to a school, you're like a, you know, crazy type A, you go to a school like Harvard, you end up getting work. Like the the end goal is to get work in a fucked up uh, a fucked up uh, uh, profession, right? Like management consulting, right? Or and shit like that. Banking or something. Yeah. Or yeah. Exactly. Right. So like, what what is the fucking point? Like what? Like this is the end state. Is you end up becoming a, a shithead by like the end of it? Like as an adult, as an adult. So like as college people, yeah, I can see how those jobs might be very desirable. But like as an adult, it's like. Nobody I know that's my age would ever want to work there because of like the horrible hours, um, the pressure. Like it's it's something that like no one wants. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's not like it's not like those are the only fields people are going into. I'm sure there's like a Harvard lampoon to Netflix pipeline now, just like there was a, a lampoon to Hollywood yeah, I'm pipeline. Saying that I don't think sure. that everybody wants those either. I think most people would be perfectly happy just taking like some, I don't know, just some regular white collar job somewhere and then just like coming home at like five o'clock you know i think maybe increasingly so uh but i think there was a glut of uh you know where everybody had to the hustle 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 life that thing yeah and, and everyone had to be you yeah, know different and things like nobody that. wants that yeah it's nobody also like defi- by definition forever. impossible not not everybody uh can can you know be some some influencer. I mean, speaking of influencer, I mean, you know that whole part with uh, Lori Lachlan's daughter, Olivia Jade? That was 
Mm-hmm. That was the part where I, I just want to throw something through my wall. <laughs> where remember that part where she comes back from USC and she says, Oh, you know, I hated I hated my day so much, but I have to be thankful because I'm getting an education. Like, oh my god, why why does this person have fans? Like it's like okay, one thing, if you were like she's hot, that's why. But that's like this is Hollywood, yeah. right? I mean sure there's um other people and it's like she's not even the daughter of them, someone it's daughter of Aunt Becky. It'd be like if you were the daughter of someone like say <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, at least you, you are basically hollywood royalty so okay maybe your life is weirdly fascinating in a way but this is epic i don't know i don't understand these people and then there was that her fan who was very disappointed in her and be like well what did you expect <laughs> subscribe yeah unsubscribe yeah. that was the that was the <laughs> biggest thing she, she could do to her be like unsubscribe i'm not killing you that's that's what she was doing <laughs> i'll show her <laughs> I, I bet that really did, like, if Olivia Jade was watching, that probably really did scare her, though, because that is her livelihood, right? If people suddenly start unsubscribing. Or she's sitting there making fun of her in her living room. I mean, that would be kind of cool if she did that, honestly. <laughs> if she had that level of uh, detachment. But I think she probably would have been more scared. Probably preparing an apology video, I mean, at the time. <laughs> her, her case was kind of interesting, though, right? Because going back to the whole, like, parents living vicariously through kids, she said mm-hmm. that, her, like, her her mom didn't care and her dad wanted her to go to college or the other way around and she didn't really want to go. No, her mom but, really cared because I think uh, Aunt Becky never went to college. So that was her insecurity. Neither of the parents went. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, but she did, but so the point important. is she, she, she didn't, didn't really, go. She didn't want to go because she's probably probably making six figures. Just doing oh, the her kid whole, herself. Yeah, she didn't want to go. Yeah, yeah. It was just, I mean, you know, it's not like she would. I, I it, think, was, it was entirely about Aunt Becky's ego. Like that, that was the whole thing, right? That's that's how they got into the whole mess. Was because she was like, "I want my kid to go to college," and so she paid someone, and her kid was kind of dumb, and so she had to pay someone to get her kid through. Yeah, I, I think the younger upcoming generation is has much more skeptical about college, uh, because good. Yeah, because I mean, I think they've seen the the like millennial generation invest way too much into it, and. All they hear about is so embarrassing. <laughs> all they hear about is the massive debts we have and things like that. And I think one of the things that people but went hurt to... feelings over Harry Potter. Okay, look, let's get to Harry Potter. Uh, remind me not to forget about that because <laughs> I have a whole thing to say about that. But another thing is a lot of things that college brought to it, which was socialization, can now be done online. I remember uh, towards the end of graduation, um, some people. Uh, some of my friends like worrying oh my god i'm still single and these are guys you know like i'm still single i don't know who i'm gonna meet once i leave the college campus is it totally irrelevant dinosaur concern now. i was like what do you mean even people in college are probably using dating apps i, I doubt people yeah. are even uh meeting people on campus anymore especially if you live in a urban campus so and and a lot of classes are online hell i bet you could go on youtube and find a history channel or a math channel that's like 10 times more entertaining than Hell even the yeah. top professors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. absolutely what exactly are we going here for again if we can kind of get everything online yeah, and, and paying 120 grand for it right like yeah A- anyway my thing about harry potter another theory i have <laughs> is that this whole fetishization of of college is is rooted in that obsession with harry potter because harry the potter sorting hat you know it is no <laughs> i can't i can't i can't tell you how many times i've heard among my classmates or other people because uh, a lot of the times these colleges will have dorms and and it's like it's just sorted out by you know names you know donors from a hundred years ago you sure. have like 
uh, Bronson House, Archibald House, and they'll be like, "Oh my God, we're like the Gryffindors, and they're like the thing." And then, and even back then, I wanted to, you know, cut my own wrist whenever I heard that. But it is that same mentality, I think, the, uh, that desire to be chosen, to be plucked out of your boring suburban life. You go to this special place where you meet other special people, and those will be the best years of your life. And then, actually, graduation is kind of tragic because you'll be out, you'll have to join some mundane workforce, even if you work at. Google or or wherever is a, is a really this desirable place to work. When you tie at. your identity to like your school or like your grades or whatever, that's that's how you value yourself. Yeah, I think it is an outcome it's of so credentialism, where you de- you have derived your entire self worth from uh, like academic feedback, and <laughs> and this is even more than academic feedback because, as I said, they're judging you as a person. And uh, they're looking at, their, uh, you know, they're doing an evaluation of the totality of your human value, not just your grades, which is um, why I think getting as flawed as the SATs are, I'm even more worried about what will replace it because there are studies that show it's even more mani- manipulable uh, by, you know, upper classes because, duh, chances are, if, if, you know, the type of schools, you know, the, the hoity-toity schools, they're going to teach, they teach you to write in a way that will impress the admissions officers, they, they make you sound more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. What would even be the like standard if there's no SAT? Like, is it just like your marks plus an entrance essay and that's it? Like, well, How would that even work? Unless they add something new, it'll be GPA, teacher's recommendations, personal statement, extracurriculars. Okay. So just other ways that it can be gamed, right? And, and bribed. Even and more gameable. Because yeah. the good thing about the SAT, I mean, I do get some gratification in seeing all these rich parents freak out about their kids who, despite like <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars, can't raise their SAT scores by more than like 20 points and they're freaking out and that's kind of by design like the SAT is not that gameable it's very rare to suddenly increase your score by like 200 points like, like all those ads are fake it's like generally um, because it's a lot of it's tied to things like reading speed which you can definitely improve but usually not within you know a year it is like yeah. a lifetime skill yeah. there's only so much you can improve by so mm-hmm. that is at least one safeguard yeah, it's interesting that we we don't have that right in Canada. We just do it by grades and kind of extracurriculars. I don't think they really care. And like a lot of like some schools might have an essay. Um, I remember like specifically not applying to a school because I didn't want to write an essay. <laughs> so like it's just weird, right? Because I'm like, I know you guys freak out about that in the US, but here like we do perfectly fine. We don't have any of this bullshit. And we don't have an industry around the bullshit either because you don't need one, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know what that would look like. I don't, I, I'm kind of curious what it would look like for Asian Americans, right? Cause part of the deal is that they've, that, that cohort of kids have tried to, you know, keep up with all these fucking changes that have been made to the application process over the last few decades. Right. So what would it look like for them if they abolished the SATs? Like, would it be harder for them to get in? Would it be Definitely. easier? I think like, it's a pretty obvious attempt to be able to have the power to control the number of Asian Americans. But are you saying that if they got rid of the SATs, they would also put in more affirmative action and like handpick numbers based on race and stuff? I think the problem with the SAT is it's too clear what penalties and advantages they give. So they want to make the whole thing a black box. So I don't think they're going to suppress Asians to like, say, 10%. Let's say Asian Americans are averaging like 20 to 25%. I think they want to find a non-embarrassing way to keep it around at that level because the more... The numbers come out, the more people ask, well, that number should actually be more like 40% based on objective standards. It's it's too embarrassing. So they're like, okay, let's just black box this because Asians, 
we, we're, we're okay with them at 20, 25%, but we can't have more than that. Too many other people are going to get pissed off. Moreover, we don't want to become the like nerdy Asian school. That's like their biggest fear, right? It's not about academics. And that's why I always get pissed off when you got these kind of out of touch people saying, oh, you could, you know, the, the math classes you take at the, you know, the state school are just as good. Yeah, we all know that. It's not about that. It's about getting into the social club. It's about being able to have stories to tell about your wacky days at Dartmouth, you know, that bullshit. Yeah. It's also interesting too because there's this bounce head strike. Don't you sound like a jerk if you say those things, though? Well, in those circles, though, I'm sure it's so normal that you know those people. Oh, it's, def- it's definitely normal, right? Have yeah. you ever hung out with kids from like an Ivy school? Like, I, yeah. I, I, my my. Are, aren't I doing that right now? <laughs> we're specializing. We're special. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not an Ivy school kid, so. Well, you um, went to Waterloo, but, so that's like yeah. Yeah, but I never. I, I had friends at uh, at Yale, right? And like when I went to visit them, they're like, "Oh, check out these! Like, I can get you into like the secret societies, and you know, we go uh, through some, ooh. you know." <laughs> Uh, and and it was supposed to be a, a big deal. You see these big, like you know, they had walls and walls of pictures of old white guys and stuff, right, <laughs> inside these buildings. And I'm like, oh my this god, is cool, I guess. Really making I, the Phillip. audience jealous here. <laughs> Yo, Philip, I just had this horrible <laughs> idea. They're gonna try to make like skull and bones woke now and stuff. I'm sure that's some. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure skull and bones had all sorts of terrible it's things. Coming that up, it's coming they get up. canceled for. But, you have to sign like an anti-racist commitment to be oh in my Skull God. and Bones soon. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't do it, they're going to blast you. That, but uh, here's the thing. You guys know about Skull and Bones, Times. right? You guys know about it. Well, right? because, of that crappy, yeah, because of that crappy movie uh, starring Joshua Jackson. Oh, wait, wait, which one are you talking about? <laughs> I was talking I'm about talking the about the Matt Damon, Robert De Niro movie. <laughs> I was talking about the one starring Pacey from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I thought we were talking about the Good Shepherd. Well, oh, I'm sure that's uh, well. That's way more respectable okay, than the one sti- I brought up. Yeah. Still, to that point, movies were made about this place. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And like, that's that's my whole point. People yeah. want to feel relevant. They want to feel like they're at a school that they make movies about. They don't make movies about that's right. Uh, North Where Carolina State movies University. Movies about how Skull and Bones is bad. <laughs> right, but you know, it's that old adage: better to be talked about than not. So I think that's the mentality. You know, the, everyone wants to feel <laughs> like, like I where things are happening. These movies were made to point to, to prove a point. Like these secret societies suck. Mm-hmm. That, but that's interesting, right? Because okay, those, you want to be the, a I, part of this. I, I, I mean, that's on I you. Haven't, I haven't seen that's those movies. The, I see but, that as a I see that as a character flaw. But but the when I went there when the I point. when I went to visit you know in just in the last five years it was considered a positive to be in them, right? So to Chris's point. Yeah, the movie, even if it was a, a critique of of these societies or whatever, still did its job of like you know in, enveloping it in the lore of of college life. I hope my kids never go to an Ivy League. No offense, Chris. <laughs> oh no, no, I mean, not taken. Yeah. What what if they say, uh, "Mommy, I I want to go." You're like, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I I guess if they really wanted to. I don't know. I'm that, that, to but talk that's the cross that bridge. Liza, that's, that's the cross issue of being bridge in like 15, 16 years when we have to. Yeah, that's the issue of being a, a, a like a self aware parent, right? Is that like your kids are still privy to all the influences that they will absorb through the the culture that will make them want to get into the school, even if you recognize it as not a great thing, right? The nice I thing about this documentary, that I can, I can like. Yeah, you yeah, can definitely I, I can. try to influence them, right? But it's like trying to like make girls not like pink, right? It's it's supposed to be a really hard fucking thing to do, right? To mm-hmm. tr- try to you know gender neutralize especially if you right? as a mother love pink, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, but, right? But like what I'm what I'm saying is that like you may not be to, be able to affect your you know stop your kids. I think it's great that this documentary exists because it's putting more content out there that's saying like, hey, there's a lot of corruption. It's not the be all end all. 
there's a lot of dark sides to this whole college admissions thing. Yeah, you're also going to have to fight decades upon decades of culture in which getting into these schools is what the protagonists of movies did, which I think is mm-hmm. a nice way to blend in. Risky business. Liza, I know you really want to talk about Favorite this movie. Favorite teen movie <laughs> of the 80s. And so, it's never included in any conversation about 80s teen movies. I think it's because it it's is really... Not, it's not a John Hughes type of 80s teen movie. No, it's almost mm-hmm. like... It's a, so it's, fucking it's a good. a dark thriller. It's it's more like a mm-hmm. dark thriller than than a typical... It's very avant-garde, yeah. The way it's filmed, uh, the, uh, soundtrack. the music, the, the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, soundtrack is so good. I honestly thought, before watching this movie, based on just what I heard about, I thought it was about a kid who throws a big party because... you don't listen to me. I've been telling you to watch <laughs> this movie for like more than a year. Like, I finally I, got you to do it. Because, you don't listen to me. I mean, there's that famous scene with, with Tom Cruise sliding across the the his, the floor, living room floor, uh, lip syncing. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, this is some wacky movie where where he throws a party. Where, going where, to, no, I mean, not, he, it's, he it's, throws yeah. a certain kind of party, let's say, uh, you know, <laughs> but it's much more about that. It's, it's about him, uh, you know, escaping from uh, Ralphie from The Sopranos. Did you see that? Joe Panto Liano. Yeah, Joe Panto. Yeah. yeah. Also, Cypher <laughs> from The Matrix. That's scary. Imagine being oh, stalked yeah. by and that he, by yeah, yeah. Ralphie. Oh my yeah. god, that is genuinely <laughs> scary. But yeah, um anyway, it's relevant because, you know, you got Tom Cruise, uh like all A American kids. Very kid. young and handsome Tom Cruise. Yeah. And he the, the whole point, I mean not the whole point, but he one of the main He wants to get into Princeton. And he does Princeton. not have the grades or anything else, the SATs to get in and yet it's like his parents want so desperately for him to get into princeton and he gets into it and that's the happily ever after that's what he heroes his way into it that's what the heroes of these movies do uh they get but at into least they the were honest schools. about why they wanted to do it remember when they're sitting in the in the little like diner at the beginning of the movie and they're mm-hmm. just like well what do you want to do when you make when you grow up why do you want to go to why do you want to do this it's like to make money yeah, uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that they reflects, were so much more honest yeah, than the eighties. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, except I don't know if uh, Joel, which is a uh, Tom Cruise's character, is honest, but he doesn't he say like, "Oh, I want to help serve my fellow." I want to serve you know? my fellow mankind. Yeah, yeah. threw a bunch of French fries at him. Yeah, but yeah, those kids I think represent the ones who just wanted to make money. Uh, represent, I think, an older mindset. Yeah, you go to these schools to get into, you know, the top law schools, dental schools, whatever, and make decent money. Uh, and uh, but I think the new mindset is no, you go there to basically become a, a more complete and more importantly a more relevant person you'll just matter more uh once you go to these schools they don't know why you just will um because if it was just about the money uh you do a cost benefit analysis go to the cheapest school possible then get the highest paying job possible and in the end you'll come out uh, your your net result will be better right but i don't think mm-hmm. that's the calculation they're making but anyway so the whole princeton angle no, they're looking for prestige yeah, exactly. Uh, so the whole Princeton angle, I mean, first of all, when he talked about his SATs, I just laughed because that score nowadays won't even get you into, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, so state bad, school right? in New Jersey. Uh, uh, it won't even get you into that. Um, <laughs> but the way he gets in is essentially the the admissions officer uh, participates in Tom Cruise's bordello and he likes it so much. He's like, yeah, we could use guys like him. Like, that would so not fly today. I mean, just imagine. I mean, it's honest. That's probably kind of how it happens, not maybe literally, but... Do you think that flew back in the 80s too, in 83, really? Yeah, they probably thought it was a hoot. They were like, oh yeah, that that, that kid's that kid's a go- yeah, real go-getter. Yeah, it was getter. way more of an old boys network back yeah, then. Yeah, I guess. Like, oh, isn't it so funny? You can get into New uh, Princeton by helping the admissions officer get laid with a bunch of prostitutes. You know, they probably <laughs> thought that was... I mean, this was the decade of porkies, right? They probably thought it was hilarious. Uh, but imagine that. I mean, stuff like that happens now anyway. 
Uh, but of course it does. Um, What's the difference between Joel? The hypocrisy. What is yeah. the Joel, the difference between Joel and like Rick Singer? Yeah, yeah. Um, there is no difference. Mm-hmm. Well, Joel wasn't trying. I mean, I think the key scene was not that he got in at the end. I think the key scene was when the emissions it, officer yeah, came in, like, came by and he it. was having an interview, right? And he was like, yeah, fuck it. I guess I'm going to state, Mich- Michigan State or whatever. University like when, of Illinois. Yeah. Sure, University of Illinois. When he was basically saying, I got over my whole, you know, desire to achieve and I'm okay with like getting into a state school, you know, because I've experienced something more authentic here with his bordello or whatever, with his prostitute girlfriend. And then, it, you know, you, that would have been a better happy ending, right? That would have been a better ending to say, hey, I'm rejecting the elite society that I thought I had to get into. Yeah, but um, as I said, that's not what the heroes deserve. The heroes deserve to get into Princeton, whether they want to or not, even kind of against their will. They will I go get, to Princeton. Yeah, in this case, kind of against their will. Yeah, yeah. And and that's where you will be made into the, the hero of your life. And if you don't get in, uh, you're you're an NPC in your own life story. That's the, I just, that's I just the wondered, like, was that just a different attitude back then versus now? Like, would would I know? I th- I feel like now they still want kids to get into like the Stanford's and whatnot. I just thinking back to like when we read um, Frankly in Love. Like, I think he doesn't get into Harvard, but he gets into Stanford at the end or whatever. Yeah, like every YA book practically ends with uh, <laughs> so uh, you know the, the the people getting into name brand schools. Yeah. Yeah. Because as I said, if they didn't, they'd be losers, and they don't get losers don't get writ- books written about them. They're right. the they're the side characters, right? Like in um, you know, Lady Bird, you know the 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 heroine, um, Saoirse Ronan goes to NYU. Her best friend goes to like beauty school or something, and that's like the end of her arc. Uh, bye bye, you don't matter anymore. Now it's it's Lady Bird's uh, saga at NYU. That's that's what people grow up with. Doing mm-hmm. this podcast has convinced me to keep my kids far away from YA novels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that's that stuff. Especially if toxic. they're written by Asian people. <laughs> Let's go to the last point that Philip put in there. The Ivy League mindset is poisonous, and Asian Americans need to program deprogram ourselves from it. We absolutely should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think every everything that's wrong that pisses us off about Asian American culture is even if it these people didn't directly go to the ivy league many of them did but i, I think it's on all an offshoot for that and uh we've done podcasts over at escape from planet talking about how mainstream black culture actually looks a lot more similar to asian american culture and the reason uh for that i think is because a lot of those people are coming from uh these college uh mindsets i mean someone um, directly from that someone like Issa Rae from stanford but i'm sure there are other people who have adopted this you know it, it's one of those like you know it when you see it kind of types you just get that you just get that stench of like the new yorker or whenever you, <laughs> you read something or watch something that's it breeds that kind of sensibility and i think it it just alienates the the like minority communities against each other because you will have like a, a top layer elite class that really does resent and um just disdains the, the rest of their community yet they, they go to these you know so-called progressive campuses in which their identity is so fetishized that they have to identify themselves heavily with an identity that deep down they really don't like or they want to change because they're the the majority of their group they're actually ashamed of and i think that's one of the key aspects of this ivy league mindset well, what would you guys say to um someone who who did go to one of these ivy league schools 
uh, heard this critique and said, you guys are just jealous because you didn't get in or whatever. Well, we would say that well, I did get somebody in. here. Not to brag, but I did get in, you know? And it's like, yeah, Chris went to a, can we say it? Yeah, you can say it. I mean, it's not a big Chris deal. Chris went to Brown. So I would just say, I would throw that back at them. Well, they'll, they'll probably say, oh, you got into the, the loser Ivy, the, you know, the drug Ivy, you know, the, the one right, that doesn't the, count. The, the point is that I they're, mean, they're so... I people say that about all the different Ivies? Like, for one, like, Stanford's not an Ivy, yet it's or, so Or Yale's a safety into. school. That is so sure. obnoxious. Or, like, well, yeah. Cornell is, like, the easiest one to get into or something. Yeah. I don't know. So basically, mm-hmm. you're saying they're, they're so enraptured by their own ideology around colleges that you really can't convince them otherwise. Or, yes. or it's difficult to. Yeah. Are we talking about specifically like Ivy League mindset people or like Asian American people who are so like obsessed, like college obsessed? Both, because Both, yeah. it, that's like that's going to be the feeder system, right? You cannot maintain this ideology without people wanting to get into it. So yeah, but we're talking about both. So the Ivy League mindset people piss me off, but they like I'm like doubly pissed off when Asian Americans are like that. Yeah, you know. I just I can't I can't fucking stand seeing that where I'm just like do, do you understand that like yeah I mean because the, you're putting so much value on like institutional recognition and for what and not only that an institution that it will not change you. your life it the the institution doesn't care about you doesn't like you you're gonna come out hating yourself even more you're gonna come out in debt like what what is it for yeah you're gonna have if- a job that's so meaningless. And even if you don't come out in debt, let's say you get like a full ride scholarship or whatever, it's still that mindset that you're probably going to spend the next like 10 years of your life trying to, trying to deprogram, deprogram yourself. yourself because, yeah. And, and I said, one note of sympathy I will have for Asian Americans is that I, I think we just don't see any other way to kind of rise up in society. We don't, it's not like we have generational wealth. We don't really have access to, uh, you know, it, 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 like, like soft power uh, sources was like schools really our only way so we just got to aim for the best schools i think that's the mentality that's what you if you think that like i don't know (laughs) yeah it's not in society like how i just rather see asian americans come out of like a state school or a non-ivy school and do big things as opposed to more asians coming out of ivy schools and do big things because the point i think i was trying to make is that coming out of ivy league schools and doing nothing (laughs) yeah or, or doing something negative right yeah. Um, but I think the, the point is that like, you know, it, it is possible to, to achieve, you know, have s- social and economic achievements and not have gone through Harvard, but they can't recognize that when they're in high school. Yeah. yeah. This, this last point I wanted to make was uh, about drugs. Yeah, I was wondering. Uh, oh, yeah. I was like, what is this? So, so uh, when I was in college, I didn't actually understand the idea that like getting into and, and succeeding in college was a meritocracy, was not a meritocracy. Um, because of things like, you know, rich kids having an easier path or rich kids literally paying their way through. The moment I realized it wasn't a meritocracy was I learned that a lot of uh, kids, um, even at and especially at Ivy League schools, would just be on like uh, performance enhancing drugs all the time. Like specifically, like Like I think Adderall. Adderall. Yeah. 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 And it was just very normal to take it, to cram for an exam, an essay, study, whatever. And when I learned that that was the case, I don't know if you guys can refute this or like corroborate it, but like, I was like, oh, okay, well, I went to, I went through college and I didn't take any drugs and I did everything legit and I got, okay, you know, marks and stuff. And like, so what the fuck is with these kids who like, maybe they can make it in through the admissions, but once they get in, they have to be fucking drugged up all the time to do their essays. Like, what the fuck? That was the thing that pissed me off (laughs) was the the, the drugs. 
I also, did a lot of drugs in college, but they weren't the kind that were performance-enhancing. <laughs> so they were the kind that make you fuck up your grades. Yeah. They that's ha- fine. I'm they cool enhanced with that. other that's things. A, yeah, that's that's a like handicap. A, that's fine. Images, right? sounds. I would sleep for like you know twenty hours. Sure. <laughs> Go to the dining hall and sure. eat a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm cool with that. That's cool. But I'm sure there's also uh, like a bonding aspect to those drugs, especially like an elite bonding aspect. Um, I mean, the first time I heard of Adderall when I was uh, was in this study group and it was for a class and, you know, it was like all these rich kids, they were talking about like Adderall and shit like that. I'm like, wh- or maybe in Ritalin, I'm not sure. Um, Ritalin, yeah, yeah. Ritalin, I, yeah. No, in Ritalin, the last time I heard of Ritalin you was... You it, right? Probably. It was in third grade. We, we had this one kid <laughs> named Michael who was really hyper mm-hmm. and we'd be like, oh yeah, Michael's on Ritalin now. Um, yeah. We had really no idea what that meant. Down. Yeah, to kind yeah. of subdue him. And that's the last time I heard of it. And I think there is the same way that, you know, people bond over doing coke or acid sure. or something. There's probably a whole culture to it where I bet even if they don't. Let's snort Ritalin and study together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, like, I don't understand what the appeal is. Of what? Doing Ritalin? <laughs> no, just this whole thing, this whole culture. Yeah, as I said, I think it is this whole like prestige and hustle culture. I don't, I don't see the appeal. Yeah, I think there is a backlash to it in that I think the idea of the dropout or not even going at all is becoming more glamorous, mm-hmm. uh, and and not just because of tech, but I think people are kind of you just you can only hear so many stories about how full of bullshit all this is before you you're like, okay, yeah, I'm just gonna opt out and I'm gonna actually glorify that instead of being ashamed of it which is i think our generation like being a college dropout was embarrassing meant Mm -hmm. you were a loser Mm -hmm. um whereas now it means you're like a righteous rebel which was the image i think the old image that's what it used to be um can we please go back to that yes (laughs) if you graduated from ivy league school it meant you were you're this like dowdy conservative joy kill probably uh but then in our generation that got transformed into you were actually cool you're actually interesting and and whatever uh but i think that's fading away a bit now thank god <laughs> i hope so um eliza anything else you want to say about risky business <laughs> other than it is the best 80s teen movie of like ever and it's it's like never whenever people talk about 80s teen movies they talk about john hughes and they never talk about risky business and it needs to be reconsidered risky business is the best 80s teen movie well, what makes you like it so much haven't you seen it <laughs> oh no no I, I've seen it but you know everyone has different reasons for liking it so I want to hear yours when I got really into 80s teen movies like in um I guess like when I would go and rent them from like Blockbuster like in high school and college uh, I went through all the John Hughes and they were funny that they all kind of have a formula and then I saw Risky Business and I was like whoa now this is this is cinema <laughs> yeah it's out there <laughs> yeah it's and it had a, I, I, lo- I love the soundtrack I love um, Tangerine Dream yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a Tom Cruise fan. I like him as an actor. Mm-hmm. I think he's good, especially back then. I thought that there was a lot of gravitas for someone who was so young. We mm-hmm. don't see that very often anymore. Yeah. Oh, I remember we were talking about Tom Cruise and I said he's aged remarkably well. Uh, there are like rumors <laughs> that he has all these weird Scientology uh, type procedures done. Probably. To, to, yeah. So, but whatever it is, <laughs> but it's how working. How is that any different from like I don't know, like any other like woman celebrity? who gets like Botox and like facelifts or yeah. like whatever. He's truly egalitarian. He's, you know, doing the same thing that women have had to do 
for for all time. So I guarantee men do it. I guarantee Brad Pitt. Yeah, Clooney, I mean, no, nobody wants to end up looking like Mickey Rourke, you know, some something like that. Um, <laughs> I, I think gross. he's I think he's actually like naturally like aesthetic and fit right because like for example in in the recent mission impossible movies he's done a lot of his own stunts yeah you can't fake right? that you can't fake, you can't fake that, uh, that yeah he's like yeah. 60 something right it's it's, it's difficult so, Tom Cruise. yeah he also always looked kind of young so i think it, it's worked in his favor yeah okay all right uh we hope you enjoyed this episode uh the documentary is operation varsity blues i recommend it um but as we said there are some critical things you should keep uh keep your focus on that the documentary doesn't spend as much time on as it should uh, join us next week. This is Unverified Accounts. Bye, everyone. See ya.